I'm going to go ahead and read this. It's a short few verses, and so just ask that you guys uh, would follow along. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. That's good news this time around, isn't it? He learned a little bit in that belly of that big fish. Uh, he did not run the other direction. He goes to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to get through it. So Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Again, uh, we talked about the last few weeks that this was something uh, that reads a little bit like a satire, that there is uh, people doing things you don't expect all throughout the book. Some of it is comical in nature, and some of it is there enough to sting. Uh, the response of the Ninevites is meant to mirror the response of the sailors on the ship, neither of which came into the story believing in Yahweh or the one true living God. Uh, at the same time, Jonah's response was distinct the first time where he ran away uh, and the second time he goes and we're hoping our boy has finally made some changes in his life um, next chapter we'll get to him uh, and see if he did in fact change or where he's at but for today's story we're going to hone in a lot more on the Ninevites but what I wanted to do is, is in reading through this uh, recognize the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time God is a God who doesn't just say things one time which is really good news I love that in this telling of the story, it is the, this beautiful picture of God coming again and giving him a second chance to do what he had told him to do the first time. A lot of times in life, we don't get it right the first time. And the good news is that God doesn't give up on us or always give our assignment away in that moment, but he loves us and loves the people we're sent enough to to give us a second go at it. And he says, go. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim, I'm sending you with a message for these people. Uh, remember, the Ninevites uh, weren't like keeping some people like out of the loop when it came to the news cycle and that's what their great evil was. Or they, or they weren't just shortchanging people when they would come in the market and they just wouldn't give them their exact change back. Or uh, they weren't just like subtly cussing under their breath every time that they walked away and God's like, yo, we gotta go get these people. Uh, these were people who were violent and evil. It's when you watch the news and you're not sure you really want to stay on it because of what it's describing. It's the sort of oppression that cries out for something or someone to do something. And God sends Jonah in with a message. Maybe their hearts will change. 
Maybe if he gives them a warning, their hearts will change and their behavior will change and judgment won't be needed in a way that comes with the heaviness and the fierceness of his anger. And so it's a big city. Our boy Jonah goes in about a day's worth. Uh, You know it's a big city when they're not even giving you miles or kilometers or whatever they use. It's just using days of travel. And so he goes a day into the city and he starts announcing it. And the ripple effects that you watch go out uh, as, as he gives this news. He says, hey, 40 more days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. 40 more days and Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Um, sometimes people make a big deal about it. See, he doesn't even mention God. I assure you this is not all that he said when he was teaching. That uh, doesn't record every single word that Jonah said the whole time through the city. But the gist of the story was there's a time coming where you're going to be held accountable for your actions if you don't turn. There, there's a time coming when you're evil will be dealt with. And what I love is in this next little part, uh, and I guess I'll I'll speak to this real quick. Uh, For some of us, that idea that God is angry that we see in the next section uh, makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, Maybe that word makes you shift a little bit in your seat and you're like, see, God's an angry God. I'm not sure how I feel about that. And I want to remind us that anger is different than rage. Uh, Rage is what the gods were known for, going off the handle, being capricious, lashing out, being unable to control what they're feeling. Uh, What we see from God, though, is is a right response to evil and injustice. Uh, We want a God who is passionate about justice, who sees the oppression of others, the abuse of the vulnerable, the subjugation of humans, the physical, emotional, and sexual violence taking place, and steps in to do something about it. Uh, We don't want a God that sees all that going on in the world and just goes, man, that's rough. Or worse, doesn't say anything at all because he doesn't care. Uh, We want and long for someone to stand in the place with those who are oppressed and when injustice takes place, who will take action to make it right. And that passion that, that, that feeling that comes up, he uses the word anger, and that's not a sinful emotion. Uh, that is not something that God has to be ashamed of and put it behind. Like, yeah, he's got that side too, but don't worry about it. It doesn't come out much. But anger is a passion about injustice or things not being the way they ought to be. And they rightly recognize that they're in sin around this. And so when we read the next little section, um, just Jonah 3, 6 through 9, I want to spend a a few minutes here because I think in this are some of the ingredients of what it looks like when people turn back to God. And I'm going to use ingredients because they're not steps. Uh, This isn't something that people, we always experience in a linear fashion where first this takes place, then second this takes place. If we learn anything from Jonah, it's that human beings are super complicated. We don't all experience things the same way, but... Uh, In every story of people turning back to God, you see these four ingredients, and I want to add a fifth, and it will be the first one, that God moves towards people. Uh, That is actually always the first one, and I recognize that I left it off my nice bullet point list. And so uh, God moving towards people, God is always the initiator. God is always the pursuer. God is always the one who passionately pursues his people. And so when people turn to God, it's because God has been pursuing them. 
It's true in this story, right? He sends a prophet from another country, his people, to bear witness to the fact that he is a God of justice and he will bring that if they don't turn. And this wasn't like a small thing. This wasn't like the bully down the street who you're really hoping starts to treat people nicely. This is an entire nation, a warring nation. It's like going over to Russia from so anywhere you want to go, I guess, in Western Europe right now because everybody's nervous. But say, hey, would you go over to Russia and tell them, uh, but 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. And what I want you to do is actually march through. And it's that sort of thing where, like, they don't change. Like, have, do you not read your history book, Kevin? Uh, God, have you not read your history book? People don't change. People like that don't change. And I will probably be on the news. Or maybe not. I'll just disappear. That's the sort of thing that he's called into. Not just go across and tell your neighbor whose trees are hanging over your yard that, hey, uh, you're kind of being a jerk, and so can you uh, cut your trees and also repent while you're at it. It's go to a warring nation who's known for violence and let them know that God sees. That's heavy. But when we take it down, even individually, though, I think we see some of the same things take place. And, and the way this story is told, it's meant to cause us to reflect on our own lives as well. And so God pursues. And then you see people have a moment of being made aware of our sin or idolatry. Uh, there's a moment where it comes to light that the way we are living is less than God's design for our life or in outright rebellion to him. Uh, it could be because you've forgotten how to follow Jesus and what you're supposed to be doing in a moment. Like sometimes it's just out of our brain. And we're like, oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. Uh, sometimes it's in ignorance. I, I never knew I was supposed to be living like that. I never knew that's what God wanted. And so when God confronts that, it raises to our attention that the way we're living is against him. Or uh, maybe it's just outright rebellion. That takes place too. We're like, I actually know what God wants me to do and I'm not gonna do it. I know he calls me to holiness in this area of my life, but I actually think that this thing or this person can give me what my heart really longs for, either quicker or better than God can. And then there's moments where even in that rebellion, it's like light starts to break in and we have that exposed. Maybe it's something as an idol. Uh, maybe it's sin in our lives. It gets exposed. And what the result of that often is, is a fresh desperation for God. Uh, every single revival or renewal that's taken place across the history of the globe has always had as one of its main ingredients a desperation for God. A desperation to see him move, a desperation for him to heal, a desperation in crying out for him to act in a way that might seem abnormal in our time, but we absolutely want it. In turning back to God, there's an awareness that he is the only one who can satisfy. He's the only one who brings life. And there's a craving that comes into our very soul where that's what we want. I'd say it's often and always marked by prayer. Uh, he says, let everyone call urgently on God. And this God now is the God of Israel. And then there's repentance. 
Uh, one of the ingredients of people coming to God is always that they turn from their sin and turn towards God. Uh, that same word, uh, this would be the Hebrew word, but in the Greek, in the New Testament, it's the word metanoia, literally to change the way you think about things. And so at one point, I thought that this was the best possible way to live. That's why I'm doing it. I've now encountered Jesus. I've realized that that's not the way I ought to live. And so I'm going to turn from that and turn towards this. It was symbolized in the Old Testament by using sackcloth, really uncomfortable clothes. Everybody was leveled out. There wasn't like nice sackcloth and like ghetto sackcloth. And you kind of like had your different levels of it. Like Prada wasn't making their own line. And then you got your other Walmart knockoff. It was everything was sackcloth. It was like, hey, we're all even and we're all messed up and we're all willing to inconvenience and have discomfort and low status visibly in hopes that God recognizes that's the posture of our heart as well. And so they're willing to take the loss of don't let anything eat, don't let anyone eat. That's putting their uh, well-being and their financial security at risk because your animals were your money. And he's like, don't let them eat. Like, don't let anything, the hyperbole of this, nothing is to touch a drink or have any food that's how desperate we are for God to relent and to rescue. And then you watch as, even for the Ninevites, there's a release to live a flourishing life. In the book of Jonah, it's very simple in that. It says that God relents and doesn't have the judgment that he was going to have. There, there's always a release after repentance. When we turn towards Jesus, it's not into a new kind of slavery. It's into freedom. And that freedom is now to live in a way where we are able to experience a flourishing life. You guys made really good friends at your table. And so I want you to take, I'm just going to be 60 seconds, but um, would maybe one or two of you, if there's only two of you at your table, that's, you're good to go. Um, what is something that's either resounding or stirring in your heart as you hear this and see this pattern of what it takes as people turn back to Jesus or turn to God? That's the way I probably should say it at this point. Jesus doesn't come in. But turn to God as people repent, and it, whether it's a community of people, uh, like happened in revivals around our country and around the world, or even in your own personal heart as you're renewed, uh, seeing this pattern and these ingredients is there something that's either catching your curiosity or maybe it is uh, causing a moment of reflection that you just want to give voice to at your table before we move on to the next thing? And if the answer is no, not yet, just say that and it'll be over in 60 seconds. Ready? Go. want to move towards the end of that part of uh, the Jonah story and highlight something that I think is absolutely critical for us as we follow Jesus. Uh, that is to, to have Jesus show us our sin and still stay in our rebellion puts us in a very precarious place. It is not outside the love of God. Hear that clearly. But it is absolutely outside of his protective care and his best desires for you. I'll say it again, to have Jesus show us where we're in sin or rebellion, whether it's because we didn't know or we'd forgotten or we're just outright saying like, God, I don't want to do what you want me to do. 
When the Spirit of God says something to us, whispers to us, announces good news, there's a better way to live, a good news that even though you're in rebellion, you could be made free, good news, there's a different path forward, good news, I have a more full life, and you can still be a part of that even though you're in rebellion now. When he says that and shows us where our sin is, and spoiler alert, we all have that, but in that moment where he holds the mirror up and we look at that and say, yeah, I don't feel like dealing with that. I would just say, Missio, that is a precarious place to be, and that is a very popular place to be in our culture. To be fully aware of what God has invited us into, called us into, called us away from, and say, yeah, I get that. I just don't want to go with it. I've got a better way. And I would just say the ripple effects of that don't just affect you. When Jonah ran from God, it affected everybody on that ship. They lost their cargo. They had to live with throwing a dude overboard. Their boat probably sustained some damage. Uh, Yes, there was good news too because God redeemed them, but there was a lot of ripple effects that negatively affect others. And the same thing is true of us when we're in sin and we're refusing to deal with it. The ripple effects of that will affect the other people sitting at these tables in very profound ways. Sin is never personal. It always emanates out communally. And so it's God's grace. It's not something that makes us drop our eyes in shame when we realize we're stuck in something. We all have that. We've all been formed by something other than God first. But we can all live in renewed pathways, and that's part of what we want to do together. And so that's just a reminder that when God shows us that, the hope is that we lean in and walk towards life. I want to give us a few ways that Jonah points us to Jesus, and I'm going to leave this last little part up there. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Uh, Something I want us to see that pushes fast forward to Jesus. As I was reading this, I was like, man, why does that sentence sound so jacked up in my mind? Anybody else read that? Especially the second part, like, or the first part. When he saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented on them and did not bring the destruction he had threatened. And, like, my mind was like, man, that just sounds like it's, like, not the way we usually talk. That's not how we usually talk. That's not even usually the highlight. We actually come to a place at the table after every single meal where we say that's actually not what it looks like anymore. Uh, And the light bulb that should have been on probably before I was trying to figure this out was simply because of Jesus, the sentence looks very different. Uh, Because of Jesus, the sentence looks very different. Uh, God looks at Jesus and what he did and relents in his anger and doesn't do what we deserved. Uh, that's why it sounded so off, because uh, unlike the people of Nineveh who were doing these things in order to show where they were at, uh, God now in time, right, looks at Jesus and all that he's done. And so if we're in Christ, we're secure, we're safe. Uh, if we're in Christ, we're redeemed, we're rescued, we're set free to live free. If we're in Christ, it's not what we do or don't do that is our eternal security. And so it was like, oh, that's why it seems a little bit off, because of that. Uh, The other thing I I do want us to see is that our actions do have implications. And so uh, in the experience of our life, even as followers of Jesus, sometimes our behaviors and our activities lead to very different than desired results. Uh, And that's still something that exists. So we live in a bit of attention for that. This is not an internal security kind of thing. That's in Christ. Temporary consequences in life, best believe they're still real. Um, And so there is repentance that releases some of that. 
But I've jotted down a few things of how we see, uh, in part through this text, we see even fuller in Jesus. And so let me just read this over us to remind us of the good news of Jesus. Uh, he comes, Jesus comes announcing both good news of the kingdom and God's intention for creation that included both judgment and release. Uh, it was the same gospel that led John to say the ax is laid to the root. Uh, you brood of vipers. Jesus to say everything that comes out of these people's mouth is corrupt and brings death. It's better for you if you had a millstone hung around your neck than if you led one of these people off the path. Now, he had lots of words of judgment and condemnation for those that that was what they needed. He also had lots of words of life and hope and release for those that would turn. Uh, Jesus calls people back into a full and flourishing life with God and a turning from sin and the patterns of life that are against his design. And the beauty is that we don't have to wonder if Jesus if because of Jesus, God might relent against us. We look at the cross and the resurrection and realize the price and the payment for sin has been made in full and God has poured out his wrath on Jesus. So if we're in Christ, we will never, ever experience that. Jesus did so we don't have to. And as Jesus then looks out and sends his church out, uh, he is the one who goes through the storm so that we can be set free. He goes into the belly of the beast so that we might live. He came announcing good news. If you turn to me, there is life. But then he commissions us out with a message to proclaim in the places that we call home. Where we live, we work, and we play. In the places where we spend our day-to-day, -day, uh, God has done the very same things he did for Jonah. He says, go, and I've given you a message to proclaim. Uh, it is not to be, most likely, uh, knowing most of you, your calling is not to be a mall preacher where you get to go over to ASU. I'm, I'm guessing that you guys probably have some nice grass space out front with a little soapbox to put out there and stand on and scream at people. Uh, some people take this very literally and say, that's the message I've been given, and I've got to go stand on a box and yell, and they'll answer to Jesus someday for that. I don't find it extremely helpful. But there are a messages that God has given each of us for the places and the people that we have in our day-to-day -day life. And I think the question that still remains for us is, uh, where do we long to see the kingdom of God breaking in? Who are the people and what is the message that we've been given? And so yes, in one way, the message is the same. It's the hope of the gospel, right? It's the true story of the world. It's announcing that in the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the sending of the spirit, that there is hope. The kingdom of God is here. There is rescue. There is redemption. Our lives can be lived to full in the fullness of God right now. That's all true. But who are the people we're called to that? What are the things that well up in our hearts that make us wonder and lean in and long for that restoration to come? I'm going to give us three places uh, to think through as you're thinking through that, and then we're going to move to three different spots in the room uh, based on what you feel like the Spirit's reminding you of or drawing your heart to right now. Uh, the first is if when you think through, where do, I, where do I long to see renewal or revival the, the kingdom of God breaking in in a fresh way. If the first thing that comes to mind is, I want that in my heart. Like, like that's where, where my mind goes to right now. I want to taste that. I want to have a desperation for God that is palpable. 
And if that's what comes to mind, then I'm going to invite you to sit right where you're at. You don't have to go anywhere. Uh, there's some journaling prompts on the back of your paper if you want to use some of those. Uh, and you can also do whatever else the Spirit brings your mind to. You're welcome. If what comes to mind when you think about where I want to see uh, the kingdom of God break in is in Mesa and the networks of friends and the relationships that I see here or the neighborhoods, uh, my neighborhood in Gilbert, like that's what I'm really longing to see the gospel break in at. If it's those networks and neighborhoods, then I'm going to invite you to go to the back right by the doors that we're going to go out to and pray over that space as people walk. And the idea is that even as we're sent out of here in just a few minutes, that we would take this good news and that God would use us in some small way to see the kingdom of God breaking in. And if what comes to mind for you is, I just have a burden to see this break out around the world, to see God's kingdom come, uh, not just in some places around here, but throughout the world. And that's what I feel like the Spirit's pressing on me right now. I'm going to invite you to go uh, to that back room because there's a world map on the wall and just start praying in that space for the kingdom of God to break through in other places. Not the ones that we necessarily call home, but that very much matter to Jesus. And so I'm going to give us just a few minutes to pray together. Before that, I'll give you like 20 seconds to locate yourself, take a deep breath. I'll see if one of these comes to mind. If as you're praying for yourself, you feel compelled to go to a different space and pray there, uh, you're welcome to move. Um, you're not locked in. And then in a, a little bit, I'll pull us back. Mm -hmm.